post-pandemic, we, uh, well, we're kind of post-pandemic, I suppose, but um, it's um, where Photon is out and about again, uh, talking to photographers. And it's uh, our pleasure to be at Carmarthen School of Art, uh, talking to um, one of the people who lead the photography team here, or if the person who leads the photography <laughs> team here, uh, Mr. Hugh Alden Davis. And I suppose we should start about um, some background about you. People may not know you, um, so it would be nice to have some background about where you all be- where it all began for you as a photographer. Where it all began. Um... I've been asked a few times, you know, what gets you going on photography? Where did that all start? And I I think it's only musing over it over the last <clears> few <throat> years. I realised it was a childhood thing. It was, um, it was a geeky thing I did as a kid. It, not the actual taking of photographs, but the looking of photographs and sort of going through a biscuit tin constantly, day after day, sharing these things with my friends who think I was balmy. Why do they want to see these pictures? Yeah. Um, I should have guessed then that I had, you know, one of those um, fascinations in photography. But the camera itself took a long time to enter my life, except for, and I did want to bring it along just to show you. I almost forgot this. Oh, I like seeing Um, cameras. This is where it all began. Okay, those two things. An SLR, I had no idea what an SLR is or was. I was a... Ten-year-old with one of those things going around the street, right. taking pictures of my friends. Like Instamatic things. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a 110. It's a it's Kodak a camera. Right, yeah. Gemini 110. Right. And my mother only had one of these. We came from a, a, a council estate, so we didn't have much money growing up. So cameras was not something you were sort of familiar with, should I say. However, photographs, no, in terms of biscuiting photographs... I just whipped some of these out. So these are relating to the scaffold, to the moon. Um, right, okay. Pictures. So this is what I would take out in front of my friends. Um, imagine myself being 10 years old, bringing my mates around who might want to play games or play with Star Wars figures. I'd whip out the, the family photo albums or little biscuit tin full of pictures. Right. And this continued. This has continued throughout my life in terms of, you know, musing into the, the backgrounds of now other people. And I I don't think it was until I was about 20, 25, say, where I was at a crossroads uh, with other things. I should mention I was more painter, uh, artist. Oh, right, okay. And a musician before uh-huh. photography. So um, what did you play? I used to play guitar, rhythm, well, rhythm and lead. Uh, And I also used to write a bit as well. We had a a band at the time. What was it called? It was actually (coughs) called Nil by Mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Which probably would have been... I, I shouldn't say too much, but it was a it was a it was a good time at the yeah back then. Cool. So twenty five. What you talked about a crossroads. Do you want to talk about that, or do you? Yeah, I think I think do you know when you reach that point in your life where you feel a little bit lost. I I reached say about twenty four, thinking I you know I was doing any job I could find just to make money. I went to art school in Llanelli for a while. Yeah. Uh, after school for about two and a half years. And the money sort of lured you away from there, so you took any job okay. that sort of gave you the cash. And it, and I, I think I went down that route for about four or five right. years. And then decided, hang on, this is not where I was meant to be going. Right. And then it was that crossroads. It's like, what do I do? I can play music, I can draw, I can paint. Should I go back to that? Yeah. And I, it's the weird thing. And I know this is sort of... Um, I think of it as serendipity, okay? I was I was sitting there on the beach one day and I fell asleep and I dreamt that I was taking pictures right. of the wonderful Kate Moss. Right. And it was one of those sort of things. And I woke up and I was like, it felt so real. It's It was almost like an awakening. Right. Like, That's okay. what you're meant to do. I, I have no idea why. So you had a thing about Kate Moss then? Yeah, yeah. But, well, no, not necessarily. It, it <laughs> Sorry. It came from somewhere. Um, and that that's kind of where it all started. Okay. And I, I, I looked into doing a course. This fascination with fashion photography started there and then. I see, right. Okay, that was the key. Then, yeah, then. and it, it, 
and I thought I'd give it a shot. It was actually down to doing a music course or a photography course. Uh-huh. And I remember applying for this and the music. I came for the interview year first. Uh-huh. And I was had an interview for music. But once once I spoke with Ian Year at the time, that was it. All right, okay. I was, I was sold. It was a hell of a learning curve, though. Those first six months to a year was probably one of the most grueling um, experiences I've had because you had no knowledge. Yes. You knew how to see, you knew how to look, you knew what you were looking for, but actually taking that picture. Right, you know, okay. It was... Um, what photographers at the time, uh, from a fashion point of view, inspired you? I loved Nick Knight. Um, he was definitely one that sort of I was drawn to due to his um, his colour and it just just the way his technique was just something different compared to all the other guys. You had Richard Arvidon, mm-hmm. who I liked, um, and just the typical stuff at the time. You know, like um, David Bailey, for instance. Yeah. You know, everybody was looking at this stuff. Um, there's probably quite a few over the years that I've been into, but it was those in particular that started the the ball rolling all right so uh you were learning a new technique and uh, learning how to use cameras uh w- were you uh, working predominantly in the studio doing the fashion stuff no not at all i don't i don't think i was ever um involved in any way whether it was the studio whether we were out on location mm-hmm. I, I just kept it okay. kept the ball in the air really i never I never had any sort of preference, but I, I, I have to say that the, the light in the whole light in aspect became a big okay. thing of photography. Okay, so we can spin back then to your days as uh, presumably you were still messing around with paints. Yeah, uh, uh, but we spin back to uh, uh, art college and going. What uh, and light obviously is important when it comes to painting. What what artists inspired you? Well, and could you did you span over the your knowledge of artists into your fashion work? No, I I'd like to say yes. Um, no, it was very primitive. My sort of uh, experience with artists as a young as a young sort of artist, definitely not. I I didn't look enough at those guys back then. I was into your typical sort of painters, right. um, whether it was. Yeah, I think the the extent of my sort of um, experimentation into other artists would have been like Guy Gur or okay. you know those kind of things. However, yeah. um, you know, I I still have a soft spot for people like um, Ed Hopper or oh, right, even okay. Van Gogh, for instance. When when I was younger, that that was my primary painter as a right, kid. Right. Okay. So you did your course. Yeah. What what happened then? Um. It was a well. It was a series of things, really. By the time I got to the second year of my degree, I knew this was it. There was something that I was like, I, I'd never felt so passionate about something like this before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been into music, yes, I was passionate about that, but this was different. Yeah, I, I had a passion for cinema. This was different. Right. There was something special about it. And by the time I got to the second year, I strived. I constantly strived. I was constantly with the camera, constantly working out light, working out subjects, how people did things. And I spent about two years trying to work out that process. And I think I found myself. And it took me until the sort of like halfway through the third year where I'd spent enough time with it to know what I wanted to be and what I could do. And what did you want to be? By that stage, it was fashion, music, right. photography. So right, those okay. things were coming together. Yeah. But there was also that, there was that thing, which I couldn't put an idea, I couldn't put a name to it at the time, which was fine art, photography or right, okay. documentary. So right. it's those two things that I've landed in over the, okay. over the last 10 years. Yeah. However, how would you, how would you define fine art photo- photography? Um, how I would define it, something that you sort of control or um, create dialogue with. Okay. That would that would be my, although, you know, there's a very fine line between any photography, really, in my yeah. opinion, these yeah. days especially. There's yeah, no yeah. clear cut on anything. Yeah. And I tend to cross over whatever I'm doing. Okay. But... Yeah, the, the fine art thing for me was, you know, learning the language, the visual language and how that how that worked in different camps. Yeah. And that's what I started to discover in that third year right, when okay. things started to come together. Okay. So, yeah, I did this this body of work at the time 
which I called uh, Fear and Hope In. And it was based on seven families, including my own. And I did these portraits that discussed the idea of how the nuclear family worked. Ah, yes. And I had a, I had a sort of series of successes off the back of this right, okay. this series, so I think that was when it really really happened. I knew this was my call and this is what I needed to do. Right. Some some way or another, I didn't know exactly how it was right. going to pan out, okay. but that was the that was the beginning. So when you left college, did you find work as a photographer then? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I assisted. I went up to London. I tried to assist anybody I could. Uh-huh. I'm, I have to say, I had a great mentor here at Rick Bauer, um, yes. who I worked with as an assistant for many years. Yes, working worked, on his five fours and all that yes, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I tell you what, we had some we had some fantastic times as you know as photographers out yes. on the road, and I was learning you know every step of the way yeah. from from him, from other photographers, from designers, from yeah. you know musicians, artists. We we tend to click with them all. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you spent a lot of time with them. Yeah, yeah. So you learn your process, you learn your craft through these people. Yes. And yeah, he was definitely, um, you know, a major, a major role model in my sort of career okay. early days. Yeah. Well, you preempted my question. Another question <laughs> is, 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 uh, is uh, who do you? Uh, obviously, Rick Bauer is one. Do you obviously look up to? Are there uh, any other photographers within Wales that have have influenced you in any way? Yeah, massively. Um, Right across the board, I suppose. Um, you can go back now. You can look at some of the the masters. I, I assume. Um, think of David Hearn. I looked a lot upon his work as a younger photographer, so yeah. he was definitely in the early stages. Um, you know, photographers are come in to teach. I look. I look at them as sort of Welsh photographers. Are probably. They might disagree. You've got Claire Richardson who was to come in to teach you. She was a massive sort of influence on my early early career. Yeah. Again, another <coughs> major mentor in my photographic career. Mm-hmm. So without those two, I'm not sure where it would have gone right, in okay. terms of my career direction. Okay. Um, but the assistant thing definitely helped me work out, do I want to do this? Do I want to do that? Yes. Should I try this? Let's try that. Yeah. And as you... As you sort of went forward, you whittled these things down and you worked out, hang yeah. on, that's where my interest lies. Yeah, yeah. So it really helped. Yeah, so assisting, the next step, yeah. is actually taking the, taking the shots. So tell me about the next step. Um, I think from that stage, I, I started working on my own projects. So knowing how successful the, my degree stuff was out there, it had, it had won awards. Uh-huh. I think I I remember you know the the photographers around me telling me you know it's silly not to sort of carry that forward you need to be doing yeah, yeah. those things as well as the other stuff uh-huh. so I did commercial stuff I did a lot of freelance I worked as a um, wedding photographer portrait photographer right. while doing the editorial stuff right um, so it, there was a lot of different things constantly um, but I started working on the. Um, the next phase of my documentary projects, which right. became the the Tumble project. Yeah, yeah. So I did this over a few years. Um, I did have the option to go straight into an MA, and I decided no. In three years from my degree, that might be the thing. Okay. And exactly three years to the date, I joined the MA course right, in okay. Newport. Yes. And this is where I started sort of focusing my work, really, the project work, the personal work. Um, and tumble became more of a thing, more of a draw, more a point of attention for me at that stage. Yes. And the MA helped me focus it. So I were, you know, I was lucky enough to work with people like Martin Parr, Paul Rees, um, Ian Walker. You had Ken Grant there at the time. Um, I'm trying to remember Clive London, um, Helen Sear. Right. Okay. We also had a really excellent sort of um, program where, you know, lecture program where people come in and help you sort of direct that work. Yeah, so what did you glean from those names? I shall give you a little anecdote, shall I? Yeah, go ahead. (laughs) I wasn't quite sure. I I should say that I wasn't quite sure what I would get out of this process. 
So when I was there, I would kind of cling at everything and t- try and absorb as much as I possibly could. Mm. These names, and I, I'm ashamed to say no, back then, I didn't know half these people yeah. because I, I was still trying to find my feet in photography. I yeah. knew big names and I knew people in fashion and I knew people in yeah. portraiture, but I didn't know anybody in documentary. Right. I did know Martin Parr, however. He was, he was my god, that oh. guy. From from my second year on a BA photogra- photography course, right up until then, he was my god. So, so what inspired you especially about him? Just his technique and his sort of brushness. I liked the way this guy could turn a camera, even, even the way he spoke about it. But I, I loved the way he could turn a camera at such normal things and make them feel... So special. Do you know, that's, that's the best way I can say it without right, sort okay. of butter coating it. Yes. It just felt, this is different. How can he make something I understand so completely yeah. look so different? Right. And that I caught on to. Yeah. And, and that d- detail, the way he looks at a subject, though, not just the way he composes it or lights it, mm-hmm. the way it was so different to everyone else. Right, okay. So uh, in those sort of kind of, You'd gone through a course and now you were thrown into a different world where uh, different thinkers, uh, people who'd done, done the work, had a body of work. So did you find yourself emulating them in any way? Not at all. No, I'd, I'd already had sort of... Um, I definitely had people I emulated, definitely. You know, it was part of the learning process. And yeah. I think the ones that I aspired to creatively or technically were people like Crutes and or Philip Loca de Casilla, or okay, yeah. um, Jeff Wall, possibly, because they were more narrative, and yeah. I, I was more in tune with that kind of thing. All right. Um, but coming back to that sort of, um, what I was leading up to the anecdote in terms of, I actually sat there with Martin Parr. Like, this this guy was the closest thing I'd had to... Yes, there were, there were things that I... Um, Admired about his work, which I would like to have done, but I wasn't that photographer. Yeah. But having sat there with him, I remember him coming in one day out of the blues to do a tutorial, and I was like, I, I can't be doing this. Right. I can't be sat there in front of Martin Pasha and him this work. He, you know, how is this going to go down? Yeah. And I did. I remember about ten of us sat around the table. Yeah. And there was um, a lovely young woman who was showing her work at the time and I just thought it was fantastic and I thought this is going to go down a dream with Martin Parr because she had that sort of technique yeah um and the best way I can say it he he really ripped into her oh right and you can imagine how that feels when you sat there everybody started sort of like stepping back slightly and I kind of was going further into the corner I do not want to deal with this I do not need to hear someone that I so admired telling me what my work was or, you know, how well it was working or not yeah, yeah. working. or, yeah. And then he gave me one of the most sort of glowing sort of reports on what I was doing right, how I should be doing it. And he even told everybody in the classroom at the time, which is kind of, it's embarrassing at the same time, but it was such a um, a wonderful feeling to have that come from one of the legends that you looked up to. Yeah, so what pictures did you show him? I showed him the Tumble series that I was working on. Right. Uh, he did say, um, I remember him saying, I can't see these, these are, you know, why you were working so small, I only had like thumbnails. Right. So okay. I showed him them on the screen as large and he, he, he gave me, a, you know, a glowing right, okay. um, tutorial on that, which knocked me back a bit because it's something I never expected. Yeah. But it did something for my confidence massively. I think from there... Do you know that fear you have of putting your stuff in front of people? Yeah. And do you know that thing, what's the worst that could happen? Well, the worst that happened yeah. and didn't go the way I expected it. Right. I'd had similar situations, maybe with Paul Rees, so where it went totally the other way. Yeah. And it was other photographers who might, you know, have ripped it to pieces and yeah. said, you know, go away, start again. Or, yeah. But to have someone that you looked up to like that and yeah. tell you that it is working just made, it, made me realise that, you know, anybody can tell you anything. It's up to you in the end. And I think it gave me that confidence to right. move forward. Right. So Newport comes to an end. What next for Heobald and Davis? Um, yeah, I think that was the 
that was the time for working things out. I think it took a while, really. I needed, I needed some time out after the MA. The MA sort of like pushed me forward. I ticked away at it a little bit um, for the next year or so. And then something happened. <clears throat> and it's all because I was, at the time, I discovered I was going to teach for a while. And I, for no reason, I just ended up teaching. I think it was 2011. Somebody said, do you want a teaching job? But I'm like, I've got no experience. Well, you'll get the experience on the job. But I'm right. like, oh, I don't know. Right. But I went in head first and I thought, what's the worst could happen? Right. <laughs> so um, after a year, I discovered it was a pretty tough job. But I loved it. There was something about it that sort of, you know, pushed you, drove you. And I, and I, and it was something that you could give back to younger students. I wasn't sure what I was giving them at yeah. that time, but it was working. They responded well to me and I responded well to them. And then I took on a teaching degree, so I, or, or PGCE, I should say. Yes. Do you know, by the end of that PGCE, that was the trigger it was like I'd, I'd been taken away. They'd taken away that two years of creativity from me. In that whole time, I was ready to explode. By the second year of that PGC, it was like everything fell, fell into place and it was like shot out of the cannon. Then came Scaffold to the Moon. Then came a variety of other projects on the back of it. Zeniel was ticking away in my head. It It's like... Having that rest from photography for about a year and a half made me realise all the things I needed to do. Were you not, since you'd, you know, obviously impressed uh, from your anecdote, you impressed uh, Mr. Parr, uh, <laughs> were you not tempted then to uh, go full hog as a photographer rather than dipping into, than, rather than uh, becoming a teacher? At the time, I was it was full hog. I was doing because I was doing the, um, I was doing documentary stuff for the course. All oh, right, okay. And I was freelancing, so I was constantly working as right, a photographer. Okay. I was back and forth in London. Okay. Um, I was doing you know fashion stuff, editorial stuff. I was doing yeah. CCQ stuff down here. Yeah. And so it was constant. And I think in in two thousand eleven when I finished that course, it's that's when I realised that documentary was my direction. Right. Okay. It fell into place. I just uh-huh. fell in love with the course. I fell in love with the people I'd met. I fell in love with it. You know, the the things I learned there, I wasn't aware of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the BA course would have given you, you know, elements of that, but it couldn't give you what the MA gave me because it was Newport, because it was like such a dedicated course to documentary. Yes. That's when I discovered what it was that I was... Right. Uh, what was the main thing you learned from that course? Um, how to, I'm not even sure I can articulate that. I think it was to just stop and observe and to look at things as, rather than just a shoot, something that you photographed within the moment, mm-hmm. it became something a little more sort of condensed, something, um, you know, concepts, ideas. Um, themes, you know, all these things where, you know, they're things that you dealt with in fashion and editorial at breakneck speed. It didn't give you the the option to slow down and think about what were the stories behind these yeah, things. Yeah. And that that's when I started focusing on my village as a thing because nobody else was doing that. Right, okay. And that was the next step from there. And I, the teaching thing allowed me I know maybe this is a cliche, I don't know whether it's problematic in any way. Um, but the way I looked at it, and it definitely, it was kind of like a saving grace. I remember um, Claire Richardson and I talking, and she was telling me, you want to get a job that's totally unrelated to photography? And I was like, yeah, I'm not sure about that. Right. Because photography, I just found photography. I wasn't about to let it go, you know? Yeah. Um, and she said... Yeah, trust me, this is how I did it. In order for you to do those projects, you're going to need to let go of that other stuff. So I started thinking about this for a, for a while. I was taking all these wedding jobs on, and I was, you know, I, I was constantly busy. Yes. And it didn't allow you to stop and think about what these personal projects were about. Okay. So I took time out from the other stuff, and that's when I started teaching, and I realized this was the unrelated job. But it was still related. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah. I could think photography, yeah. but yet it didn't take up my time. And then I could go away and do my own stuff. Yeah. And that's when I found the perfect balance. So I, I, it was just a happy accident right. that those two things came together. together. Well, you know, maybe they're all happy accidents. I'm sure that everybody will tell you that. The best things yeah, in yeah. your life come together by accident or some kind of um, lucky streak or whatever you want to yeah, call yeah. it. Yeah. And that, that was one of my next lucky streaks, just having those two worlds that could operate together, but were so far apart, and I could focus on my own thing. Right, so uh, talking about your um, photographic language, where would you, if somebody asked you what here was your photographic language, how would you describe it to them? chaotic sometimes <laughs> oh, it, it was very sort of focused to begin with intense it was intense you know the, the thought process behind it so how I, how I might sort of describe myself in that or my my style do you think or my the well, way I approach well your thumbprint your thumbprint somebody who could look at a picture and say that's a Alden Davis okay. picture um, I'm not sure there is one I, I, some people would say there is I, I, I've heard somebody say well, it was Rick that summed this up the other day. He kind of put it down to uh, almost like cinematic or directed, uh-huh. directed yeah, yeah, style yeah, photography, yeah. which is probably true in many respects. Yeah, yeah, you like to use the lights. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that has definitely been my style throughout. But I've tried to let go of this a little bit over recent years. Right. Not because... Not because I'm not interested in it. Not because... I'm, I, I'm not someone who likes to be tied to one thing. I like okay. to, to explore different avenues, any kind of thing that can create a dialogue yeah. or make us think or sort of play with our imagination a bit. Okay. That's me. And I, I think any medium that can allow me to do that, right. that's what I want to do. Right. So when you were looking at the Tumble Project, what were you looking for specifically? When What narrative were you, uh, were you thinking about when you were conceived that project? That was definitely from a uh, you know a director's point of view. In terms of I was, I was an absolute cinema nut growing up. Okay. I, I was brought up that way. Uh-huh. You know, my mother would draw the curtains, get three videos out yeah, from yeah. the shop, and yeah. that was our day. What was you your favorite? What was your favorite film? The one that stays with me uh, to this day has to be E. T. Okay, because <laughs> right. I was so young, and it was one of my first influences. Then you had the Gremlins, or you had the yeah, Goonies, yeah. and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And it, they had massive influence. But as I got older, you know, you started to find, you know, whether it was David Lynch or, you know, some of the more sort of balmy directors. Um, you can think Cronenberg, you can think, you know, right down to the softer stuff. Spielberg was a massive thing for, for yeah, a yeah. child. Yeah. That kind of vision. Yes. And it did have a, a, an impact on future, future choices in photography. Right. Yeah. Uh, Lynch especially, again, I think... Um, that that narrative, that cinematic lighting, that thing, it definitely had a, had an, a huge influence on me. Right. Um, yeah, and I, and I think Tumble became that. When right. I started looking back on Tumble, it, it had to be about the way that I saw it growing up. Okay. I've got to say, I was a bit of a sort of extrovert as a kid. You know, I was very different, very bouncing off the walls. My right. huge imagination, you know, I, yeah, yeah. a bit of a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my friends tell me, no, do you remember when you told us that? Yeah, I can't believe I fell for it. You know, there'd be like you right, know, yeah. these moments. And that, that's what inspired the whole sort of going back on Tumble and kind of painting it the way I saw it growing up. Right. Because I was so involved with all these films, watching these films on a yeah. daily basis, it kind of influences the way you see the world. Yes. And that's that's kind of what it's talking okay. about. Okay, and you've done a lot of live streams from... Yeah, from, yeah, from yeah. yeah. Uh, what sparked doing live streams? Um, again, I think it was just one of those things to just let's see what happens when you pull at this string or you pull at that string. Yeah. Uh, I remember having conversations with many people during the time that I started the Scaffold to the Moon or the Prince Project. And somebody said, I'd love to see what goes on in that garden. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I've written loads of blogs about it. I've, I've done all these pictures on the stuff. So what's the next step? Live stream. Right. Let's do it as it is, as it comes. And at the time, I was trying to do um, a Kickstarter 
to to launch the book, which wasn't very successful at the time, which worked out for the best because I don't think I was ready for it at the time. Okay. But that that's where the whole live stream thing happened. Right, and okay. Started yeah. As a promo. So some people would criticise uh, sort of nostalgia and uh, and they are laced with nostalgia about yeah. your school days and things yeah. like that. Yeah. So how uh, formative and how important was it for you to do those live streams and to recall the bus stop etc 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 how important were they very important now especially i I think once i worked out what live stream was what what it could do i was interested in how that could communicate with the people that shared these experiences okay and it teach me a little bit how how different am I to anyone else? And do we all do this thing? Do we look at stuff backwards? Do we look at the world backwards? Because yeah, yeah. I've, I've done that half my life. Yeah, or yeah. More, more than half my life. All my life. Yeah. I look backwards. Everybody says, well, I never look backwards. Look forwards. And I've found it to be a very fruitful thing for my, for my soul, my, right. you know, for my mental health to look back right. and sort of you learn from those experiences. Yes. And I've de- and I, it's definitely been something that's helped me sort of, you know, make a career out of. Yeah. And it, it, the the whole nostalgia aspect has now become uh, one of the key sort of tones within my sort of research. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. It's, I mean, uh, I suppose we sort of sort of pop on into um, Prince, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and. I guess this is your dad here, isn't it? There's a picture of you, and is it you? Um, no, that's that's my cousin. There. That's your cousin. You see one on the right. The what bike. sort of motorbike has he got there? Uh, that's a Suzuki. But right. he, the, the first motorbike he brought back was a Husqvarna. Oh 250. God, I remember those. Yeah, very and noisy was, things. Yeah, massively. <laughs> well, you can imagine the impact that has on you as a kid when somebody brings something yeah, like yeah, that back. Yeah. My father, as far as I was concerned, you know, was a, a machine driver. He'd never sort of dabbled in motorbikes, and this was his first dabbling. Right, okay. And it was just, it, it was um, hilarious for us in some respects, and very um, uh, <laughs> humiliating for him, because so, he would enter competitions, and he would sort of um, take these out on the track. Right, uh, yeah, which never worked out for him. He was never, never any good on these things, and he'd be dabbling on the track with some very sort of uh, good riders, which would heckle them, him then because right, okay. of uh, And uh, there's a lovely shot of uh, him uh, with a sidecar uh, on his uh, on his motorbike. Did you get a Did you get a ride in the sidecar? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Again, that that that's my uncle's motorbike. That's your, uh, but yeah, I could tell you a few stories. But right. <laughs> so, you were, were you enticed to follow in your father's footsteps and to motorbike? Um, no, not at all. My parents put me off uh, actually having a motorbike. <laughs> that's why I don't ride now. I've got a passion for motorbikes. I love motorbikes, but I, right, yeah, I wouldn't have one. Right, and there's that picture of your dad with uh, Harley Davidson on the back. Yeah. Did he own a Harley Davidson? No. He wishes. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the reasons I started documenting him. He's just, what can you say? He's so sort of, backward isn't the right word to use, but he's, go with is what we say in Yeah, words. yeah, I understand. It's when yeah. you, you want to be sort of awkward. Yes. He, it's in his nature. Oh, right, so, okay. And this is kind of emblematic of who he is. Right. It started, he used to wear these lumberjacks when we were kids, and uh-huh. everybody knew him by the lumberjack jacket he had on his back. Right. They were quite popular, but he used to wear them a long time after they weren't popular. Right. And we'd be like, oh, my God, he's got like about 10 of these in the wardrobe, and he'd have a different one on his back every right. day. yeah. And we used to mock him and joke, you know, about this this whole lumberjack thing. But, yeah. it, it, you know, water off a duck's back. But yeah, then yeah. all of a sudden, his cousin brought this jacket, the Harley Davidson thing, back from, um, I think it was from New Zealand or Australia or Taiwan or somewhere. Hmm. Um, and he never, it never left his back after this. And from there on, people would start buying him more jackets with Ferrari on, BMW. <laughs> So every time someone would go away, they'd bring another jacket. So this became part of his character. Yeah. He's almost like this, I don't know, like a character rather than the, right. the person we saw around the house. Right. Was he, uh, I mean, I 
taking your dad is still still with, with us, yeah? Yeah, yes, uh, yeah. And uh, how would you sum him up? I mean, he comes over as a, very much as a character and you talk very lovingly and very empathetically about him and stuff. And the pictures convey that sort of uh, empathy and that sort of bond you have. What sort of bond do you have with him? As, as adults, a very good bond, yeah. We're, we're good pals. And I, th- I think it helps that we don't live in each other's company. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that can be said for any sort of uh, son and father, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was difficult as a kid. I think more on my part, because I'm trying to grapple with the world and how it works. And this man, this character, this, he was he-man to me as a kid. You know, yeah, again, yeah. another godlike character who yeah. I couldn't suss out. Right. So there was that issue with me. And then him being this sort of very awkward person. And yeah. I, I think it was difficult for him because he was he was always away working and that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I always had a big, you know, soft spot for him because right. he, he was a hell of a character, still is now. Do you know yeah. whenever I'm in his company? Yeah. We don't half laugh. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we have yeah, really sure. good laughs. So how did the book come about then? Just... Again, it's elaborating on that. I think I sat there once. He said something like, um, uh, it was about a little radio. There was a radio sat on the, the table. And we're having this conversation. And then he goes, ah, that's what I'll do with that. Just out of nowhere, you know. And I'd be like, that's what you'll do with what? That there, the radio. Uh, yeah. What do you mean? He said, oh, I'm going to put it in the glass house between the two sheds. Then I can listen to Chris Needs as I... As I walk from one shed to the other, and I was just, and I won't miss a thing. And I was like, only you would say that. And it was just these things. And then there was a trigger effect, I think, there. And I'd remember one other thing, and remember this thing. And I was like, that's it. You will be a really good project between projects right now, because I wasn't really doing anything at that point yeah, yeah. other than focusing on Tumble yeah, yeah. and doing the teaching thing. Yeah. And I thought you'd be nice. You'll be a nice sort of like um, segue, should we say? Right, There's okay. something to sort of work on on the side. Um, so I started documenting the things he'd say, the uh, which were almost always laugh out things. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, laugh out loud things, I should say. And then you know, after a few weeks of sort of documenting things, it became a project. I realised this had to be a thing, but th- there was one thing that sealed the deal for me. Um, he told me, my brother told me, "You've got to see this thing he's made in the shed, which was this biscuit tin on the on the wall." Right. So when I went in, I thought, "What the hell is this?" Yeah. My brother had made a big thing of it. Now you've got to see this. You've got to see it. So when I went in there, I could see this tin on the wall, and I I'm trying to work it out, and I was like, "What the hell is it?" Mm. And I took the lid off. He's got like three little tea lights in there, holes in the top of this this tin. And it's directly under the toilet roll. Right. In the outhouse now. And I, I Right, I've got this. I'm going home. I went straight home. It's only about 10 minutes up the road. Came back, took the door off the toilet quietly, positioned my camera, and he caught me in the act. Right. And it was like, ah, uh, here we go. This is the moment. And, and that's, that's where the whole project begun. Right. And I, he just went on to tell me, you know, you'll be laughing on the, the other side of your face when when this is uh, making millions. When I'm a millionaire, you'll be <laughs> laughing on the other side of your face. Right. And I, yeah, that's when I decided, no, this, this is a new direction. Right. What about the production of the book itself then? That was a long time in the making. I had all these ideas. Um, I think it began with, once I had an idea this was going to be a project, I just thought I'll just do a little 15 image thing and put it out on the back of a magazine. So I made like a zine type yeah. book. Yeah. Um, and that was the idea. It was never meant to be anything more than that. Um, and it worked successfully. It went on the back of CCQ magazine. Yes. We got it out there. And the idea of that was to be an exhibition on the back of a magazine. Right. So I was always thinking creatively, how can we get people to look at stuff without it, you know, being on the four yeah. white walls of a gallery? Yeah. Um, not that I disagree with that sort of thing. That that, that has its purpose as well. Um, but yeah, that's when it started. And I thought, okay, so that worked in so many different ways. How else can I make it work? And then I started looking at the photo book as, as a medium and how... How many different ways can this be explored? Uh-huh. And I'm still there. I'm still sort of trying to work out the shape of that right. thing. And we, from what I've learned, it seems to be the most um, 
it's the easiest way to reach your audience, but it's also the, one of the most permanent sort of options as well for yeah, your work. Yeah, and um, a publication launched at Diffusion, yeah? Yeah. And uh, Lyceum Gallery. You yeah. have very close contacts with both. Yes, very much so. I, I, they've been massively supportive to my career throughout. Um, you know, the to begin with, I think off the back of my MA, David Drake sort of... Um, sort of took an interest in what I was doing and he, he's he supported my work ever since um, as much as any gallery can. Uh, I'd say he's probably gone beyond so in some cases, you know, he, he set me up with certain connections and, you know, built helped me build a network, uh-huh. uh, whether that's in Germany or, you know, even here in Wales. And we've worked together in terms of like making connections, getting photographers from down this end involved in, say, the many voices that is going yeah, on yeah. right now. I think the book's been launched today. Um, yeah, and Elysium came slightly after with my ties with Dan. Um, they'd opened in 2010. I was aware of them. Right. But as a, as a photographer, you, once I understood the photography was my thing, I remember going to photo gallery and I remember looking at a photo gallery in Penarth and going, one day, Jonas, it was my first exhibition I'd seen of this nature. And I was like, one day, that's my goal. Right. And that's something I aspired to. And it, it's something, you know, <laughs> I got to in the end. And Elysium was the same thing. I recognised it was there 2010. Yeah. And much later, I think, it, oh, not much later, I think 2013, I started working with Dan, made right, an exhibition okay. there yeah. as well. And the diffusion, uh, the exhibition of your work in diffusion was in the tram shed because I went to see the yes. exhibition, which yeah. is a kind of a nice space to show stuff. Actually, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, I'm uh, kind of interested in uh, the way you think about uh, how you edit your photographs. Uh, do you collaborate with anybody and say, "Look, what, what do you think of these? What's your what's your style? What's your it's a way very- of doing?" I'd like to say I collaborate, and I believe in collaboration, and it needs to happen when you're working with something, you know, the definitive thing. Yes. But I think it's a very personal process, and okay. it's something that's slow, something that you um, contemplate for a long time. You come back, I, I, right from the beginning, I learned how to edit. I'm not sure how, sequencing, whether it comes... I'm not saying I'm not saying it's a natural thing at all. I think I've watched people do it, and I've understood so much about the yeah. visual language and the sequencing of yeah. things that I kind of got the gist of the rhythm. So, how do you do it? How do you physically do I it? I would cut out little images, um, whether there's something like you know, by three inches by two inches or something of that nature. Uh, I lay them out on a table or put them up on a pin board. And if you've got like 30 or 40 images or if it continues to grow like some of the projects I've got, yeah. you just start moving them around, taking things out. So you might end up with maybe only 15 images. Yeah, yeah. And, and then you'll move those things around until you've got the right thing that feels right. But then you've got to think whether it's in a book, whether you're going to see it on a wall, whether right, you're going to see yeah. it in a, you know. So what is the difference? Do you see that as being different, that the sequencing oh, yes. that you do yeah, for a book? Yeah. And the way you experience a... it is definitely different. Right. Um, and, and loads of things can sort of inter- interject with that kind of thing then. Like, um, you know, if you have text, for instance, or if you have graphics, or if there's movement in the pages, or if there's movement, or if they even in a gallery, you know, that can change massively. If you're working around a corner, let's just say you've got like a few images in your periphery, yes. in your periphery, yes. and then, you know... Right behind you, there's something else that interferes with that. Yeah, then yeah. your the way you experience those images has yeah, changed dramatically. Yeah. So, did you make any mistakes during that period? Always, I still make mistakes. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think you have to make mistakes because that's when. I think that's when the happy accidents happen. Right. Okay. Cool. You can learn from that. Yeah. 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 And so, how is Tumble going at the moment? I'm ashamed to say I feel more distance from it right now because of the whole COVID thing. Like yeah. I, I've kept my feet in my community always. I've never, but this whole COVID thing has definitely distanced me from it. Yeah. My only interaction with it right now is um, maybe a, a run through the village maybe twice a week. Right. That's it. And I, I rarely see people. Um, yes. So this, this thing has definitely had an impact on how I work things. Yeah. 
but I hope that it'll it'll get back to normal. Yeah, soon. so you're you're um, we're collaborating. Mo is one one of your uh, students. Yeah, uh, you've, yeah. You, and he's involved with the carnival yes. thing. Uh, is Peter Finnamo yes, involved as well? Yeah. yeah, I was very interested in when I decided to do the project itself. It had been on my mind for about ten years to do a carnival project. Right, and it was just originally it was going to be an archive project because the carnival had stopped. Yes. Then I started thinking about what if I do a carnival project throughout the Gwendraith Valley and document everything together and come yeah, up yeah. with some sort of definitive book. Yeah. And then eventually something happened with the carnival project. Uh, the carnival was coming back to tumble and I thought, right. well, this is it. This is the moment. Yes. And I started planning how I was going to do this and I thought... I'd just come off the back of a collaboration project with um, Daniel Staveley yes. where we were doing sort of um, silver processes. And yes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff actually, yeah. Well, we had such a great bond through that project that uh-huh. it taught me so much. I was very exclusively a one-man band before that and I, and I always made a point of saying so. Right. I didn't work with others because I couldn't control others. Mm-hmm. I needed the control, and I, everything about my work is about that. Right. And this taught me to let go. I, this this relationship with him, that bond in that project, taught me to let go and trust other people uh-huh. and how to work with other people. Right. And that influenced the Carnival project, and that's when I invited more. I don't, he was a student with us at one time, but yeah. I recognised how you know he's such a good photographer. Yeah. And, and increasingly so, he's becoming better and better as he as he gets along. Yeah. I'm a big fan of what he does. And it was because he's Welsh based, I was interested to see all these different dynamics come together. Yeah, of course. You know, all these different photographers, whether they're international, whether they're, you know, outsiders, insiders, all this kind of stuff. How would that affect how we look at this village? Yeah. That was kind of the premise of it, but it was nothing more than that. Yeah. Um, until after the first year, I started seeing a pattern. Then the second year produced something, and then the third year, and I thought, this has something I can talk about. Right. So it's become part of my PhD now, as looking at the Gwyndreth Valley, um, and hopefully this year or next year it'll be a publication as well. Okay. So in, you know, incorporating all these wonderful photographers, different visions, on one community, small community in the yeah. Gwyndreth Valley. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the only... Because I uh, was brought up in Llandaelo and um, we used to come to play tumble in uh, rugby, <laughs> which was um, um, a very difficult time, to say the least. Playing uh, tumble was one of the most horrendous things ever. Um, uh, you ended up being black and blue, basically. And uh, so <laughs> what? What? <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? Because you have the same dynamic happening in... I lived in Llantrasant for a long time. And you have the same dynamic between uh, Llantrasant and Bithe. So where where does Tumble fit into this area? I mean, do you go to... Llene- I mean, you know, would you go to Llanelli? Would you go to Ammanford? Where was... Why is Tumble so special? What makes Tumble, you know, uh, spark things off in your imagination? Too many things there, really, to draw upon. Uh, my idea of it now, or maybe if I look back to my younger days, it was a rugby mining town, yeah, wasn't it? That, yeah, that's Tumble, yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's a hard town and it's never given up that no. reputation no, even no, now no. um and it people tell me these stories for instance even at you know it's only within the last few months where they've had experiences you know in recent years and i'm like it's still it's still keeping up its yeah. uh, traditions and yeah. it's um you know the way it's looked upon and it doesn't want to let that go whether whether it's up to the community or not um it's just the way it goes i think being um a hard before it was a mining town. It was a farming sort of village. Yeah, yes. So it's it's all it's always had its hardships. Yes. And that came. You work hard. You play hard. And yeah. that's exactly what they did. Yeah. What they're doing now. And yeah. that's never changed. Yeah. And it still has that kind of resilience. Yeah. What about the people within? I mean, you're doing the carnival project, and you've done your dad. And yeah. but what about other people within the village community that you characters, would absolute yeah. characters. We, yeah. We run the local workingmen's club 
Right. Well, my parents did for about six, seven years. Right. And we were very much embedded in the sort of pub culture, you know, yeah, right yeah. from that high yeah, yeah. into my adulthood. And the characters I've seen over the years, I wish I'd recorded them. They, they, it's been filled with such wonderful, wonderful characters. Yeah. And half of them have gone. Sad to say, I never photographed them. Mm. But I didn't have that sort of ability then or that sort of inclination. Um, but it's still there. I think it's still there. It, it, okay. it, people tell me all the time, oh, it's not the same anymore. And I, I, I speak to people my age, you know, it's not the same anymore. There's loads of people moved in, lots of people gone, you know. Yes. And you don't know the next person, you know, the, the, your next yeah. door neighbour. Yeah. I, I don't think it's there yet but it's definitely going that way by the looks of things yeah so the dynamic of the village is, is changing oh, yeah. rapidly and i think that was my fear when i started photographing Tumblr, right, and okay. that's what the visual sort of um, language is about my okay. fears and my sort of grappling with letting go of that community that means so much that nostalgic power and that right okay and I, I was witnessing you know things coming down that we lost the factory we lost the um, the bakery we lost the the stores yes all these things were being knocked down even the tumble hotel which yeah, yeah. you know had been there for 200 years was yeah. knocked down Definitely. and it's like what the how does this go this is our history our heritage yeah yeah and this thing was dis- disappearing in front of me yeah and that that sort of that made you get up out of your seat and sort of start pointing the camera and sort of questioning these things. Right, okay. So we're talking long-term project here. Are we talking a Peter Finnemore 33-year project? Well, yeah, <laughs> possibly. It's, it, I tell you what, in all its sort of incarnations, it, it is now, what, 16 years long? Yes. Um, it, it comes in different forms. I've already given this an idea. Uh, I think five years ago I came up with this, this idea... <clears throat> As far as I'm concerned, everybody was looking into the valleys. Everybody was looking to the east. Yes. And nobody gave this place any sort of recognition no. in any shape or form as no. far as... And yeah. th- you know, the, the heritage we have in terms of literacy or, or literature, I should say, um, or even photography and art, there's very little of it. Yes. And I thought, well, I don't want this community to go into the dust without it ever being recorded. Uh-huh. So that became my thing, and I decided about well, maybe five or more years ago that this should be a large, lifelong project of some right, kind. Okay, okay. So I started pulling at like all strings to see how many dynamics that could give us. Yeah. So it began with maybe look from looking at those seven families to begin yes, with, yeah, yeah. straight on to the Tumble project, which was looking at it as a peripheral thing. Yeah, yeah. Then I focused inwards towards my father, which was one of those one of its central characters. Yeah. And now I'm going back in time. I'm right. going to discuss like a 1980s um, era or a generation which we're dealing with that change. Yeah. You know, coming away from the coal mining mining era yeah. into the computer age. Yes. I mean, we were the children dumped in the crack of that. Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with it? What, what's the, yeah, and yeah. where's that story gone? Yeah. Where's the documentation of the, that era? Yeah, yeah. So these are things I'm, I'm kind of playing with. Right.